0: This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email Podcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon.
1: Welcome to Going in Circles live. It's Tuesday, and we have... Um, we have a themed show today. On Sunday at the Jockey Club Roundtable, Sal Sinatra of the Maryland Jockey Club, uh, a longtime respected racing official, did a presentation about a system of classifying racehorses without using claiming prices. And it's something that's been talked about for a while, kind of. Uh, Never, it never really got a whole lot of traction in this country. But uh, this is the first time that a racing official, a a highly regarded racing official from a major jurisdiction, has broached the subject in a in a formal fashion, which really piqued my interest. Because, like I said, we've had these conversations on social media and, and. You know, just talking about different ways that we might be able to do things, but it never really seemed like anyone was listening. So this was kind of a a change in in that this is a a major event, the the roundtable, and Sal Sinatra is a is a a major voice in the Stronic Group and and in the Maryland Jockey Club. So for him to not only uh, bring this subject up, but have it be the focus of his presentation was very, very intriguing to me. One of the biggest problems we have in racing is that we sometimes uh, seem latched on to tradition and we're sometimes willing to ride that horse right over the cliff so to speak, and one of the issues that's been talked about over the last uh, couple years, really in response to some of the negative issues that we've had to deal with, is claiming races and their place in, um, in racing. And, and, and obviously, the vast majority of horses are running in claiming races. The vast majority of owners own claiming horses, And it's not like this will be um, something that is going to be easy to to implement because it's not. It's going to be difficult just simply because people hold on to what they know as opposed to um, the unknown. And there's other issues, of course, that we'll, we'll get into as well. And we have... One thing about racing is that it's very much a regional sport. And even though I can sit here and and get on my phone and bet races from all over the world, from all over the country, different jurisdictions and different areas have different issues. You're not going to be able to implement systems at places like Charlestown and uh, like you would at Saratoga. We have uh, with us today, we have um, four guests, and they represent distinct, uh, distinctly different uh, locales and and, and positions, uh, and they have different views on, on racing. Uh, our first guest is a trainer that used to be based in the United States, that's now uh, back home in Australia, named Murray Johnson, Murray actually ran a horse in the kentucky derby years ago named green alligator Uh, murray is kind enough to join us from australia and he has experience in you know racing in the united states and also in australia where they have a a strong handicapping system that they use there and and, but but i mean handicapping i'm not talking about of trying to figure out the winner but uh as a way to uh, classify horses so that we can put competitive races on the racetrack. And we're going to get his insight um, on the differences he sees and and potential uh, potential things that we could do and potential things that are going to be issues. Uh, following him, we have Paul Mattis who's a, a professional player and Paul came up with a system about six years ago that he had put out on the website uh, paceadvantage.com which was one of the first or the biggest uh, websites where players real players talked about issues and talked about certain uh, items in the game and his system is, is interesting and I think that uh, I'd like to hear more about it and, and, and where he's coming from and how he thinks things may have changed in the five or six years uh, since he, he put together his system and, and kind of what his view is from a, a person that, that plays the races in a, in a very serious fashion. Uh, following Paul, we have uh, Ilka Gansara uh who is a trainer in England. Uh, Ilka worked for me uh, several years ago, well, a long time ago now. And she has a, a, a unique perspective as well as that. She had spent some time in the United States before going back to Europe. She's, she's actually, uh, a licensed veterinarian. I'm not sure if she's licensed. I don't know how they do it over there, but she, she has a veterinary degree and she trains, uh, she has a yard in new market with her, with her husband. They train, um, thoroughbreds and some Arabians. And, uh, We'll get her view on, on handicap systems, and uh, she has. Uh, she may not be as positive about the system as as others may be, and I think it's important to try to hear from those who actually are in Europe, because we hear a lot of things about Europe, and everyone thinks European horses make twenty five starts a year, and they're all. sound they never bleed everything's wonderful and everybody goes to a pub after the races and holds hands but it's just not true and they have the same issues that we have here and um, she's complained to me a lot (laughs) over the years about the handicap system how she feels that uh, it can get manipulated how she feels it it can uh, stifle some some runners uh ability to get in races and things like that so we'll hear from her and our final guest is elizabeth rogers who is the racing secretary at charlestown and we'll get her perspective uh from a track that has uh, mostly small time owners mostly uh claiming horses and, and and state-bred type horses and uh really people that that um A lot of the horsemen there uh, are people that breed their own horses, that raise their own horses. And even though they're not breeding and and, and raising really high-dollar horses, they're still spending quite a bit of money to get those horses to the races and, as such, maybe be interested in in something um, other than just a straight-claiming system. So I want to get everybody uh, plenty of time to... um, to give their their uh, their opinions on this, and I have some opinions on it. I, I have uh, some feelings about it, and I think that um, it's something that we should keep an open mind to. I, I think some of the reaction on social media to Sal's proposal, well, number one, I think a lot of people didn't actually listen to it, and I think, number two, that people believe all of a sudden it's just going to become all allowance raises because the connotation is that a race that's not a stake race, that's not a maiden race, that horses aren't eligible to get claimed is more or less an allowance race. And I guess in a way it, it would be, but, but I think that a, a handicapped system can work in this country in a lot of jurisdictions – I believe that it will be beneficial to the majority of people. I think it won't be beneficial to those who are currently taking advantage of the the system by the big outfits that continually run horses uh, down people's throats and cause short fields, cause uh, short betting prices, um, cause the the product the betting product not to be as as good as it might be because in a lot of situations they have multiple horses for divisions and they're not all that concerned with with getting them claimed and winning is is the name of the game and i'll be honest with you winning races is hard except when you start running twenty thousand thousand dollar horses for eight and ten it's not that hard when that happens it's it's like if the uh, the Yankees started playing double-A teams. They'd lose a game here or there. But for the most part, they would win most of the time just because they're a little bit better. And the idea that we can just keep claiming uh, those guys' horses is just... The problem with, with purses being double and triple, the claiming price is that you get confused when um you get confused as to uh, are they dropping a horse because the horse has an issue or are they just dropping the horse because they want to win a purse and maybe they have two or three other horses for the same class and uh i mean it's it's a bigger issue but but today's issue is how can we do this better and i think that's uh something that we should we should start by going down under and speaking with my friend murray johnson murray are you there sure am chuck murray thank you for uh for getting up early for everyone uh that doesn't have their uh their time zone guide with them uh, it's it's a little bit after four o'clock in the morning for for mr johnson so our, our day is still uh, we're still midday and he's uh he's even he's up before breakfast time yep certainly am uh i gave you a little bit of a brief introduction uh by mentioning that uh, I met you in Kentucky when, when you were, were training over here um, and uh, I, I, I tossed out uh, your most famous horse, the Green Alligator. Well, I guess he's his second most famous horse, but uh, Green Alligator we, that you actually ran into Derby because, you know, it's it's Derby season over here. It's August, <laughs> which seems bizarre, but uh, that that's the, the hand that we're dealing with now. But um, uh, I thought that uh, I, I was happy that you jumped on the the, the, the page on Facebook today and, and volunteered to come on because uh, you got you have a unique perspective as as has to been dealing with um, you know the United States uh, system of 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 racing with maidens and allowance and claiming and and um, and the Australians as well. So you have a, a pretty unique perspective, and, and we'd like to really uh, you know get your feelings on 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 what you think we could do here
0: uh you know I was lucky to be in America during the what I consider some of the the great the last great era of American racing really and uh where claiming racing was claiming racing and then I saw the introduction of casinos and uh where it really skewed the the whole uh, system of claiming racing and finding a level of horses where they could compete on a on a level field. Of similar ability, uh, and it changed things a lot, and uh, which I'm sure everybody there knows. And uh, yeah, so when I came back to Australia, uh, came back in '11 and took out my license in 2013. And you know, there's a completely different system here, so I have I worked the system for worked within that system for five years, and I've since given up training, but uh yeah the comparison you know that i can see the need to be looking at a different system because of the changes that have undergone over there over the last couple of decades
1: describe briefly um what the system that that is in place in australia uh you you sent a link uh to me and, and i put that up on my website though i'm not confident that it's actually made it up because i'm not exactly um a, a webmaster but uh could you explain how, how that system works and how a horse, um, say, take a maiden, a horse that had never raced, how, where they would be placed and, and as they progressed and won races and, and maybe weren't at a stakes caliber level, how, how they would be campaigned?
0: Yeah, well, a maiden is a maiden, so you can go to any maiden race anywhere and they pretty much set weights with the uh, if they're an open maiden, you'll get the colts and geldings on one weight and uh, on a set weight, and then uh, fillies would be given a two kilo, two kilo allowance. Uh, now, two, uh, one kilo is two point two pounds, so uh, the ratings go by one point equals half a kilo, so just over a pound for each point. So when you start as a maiden, you have the set weights. Then if you win, depending on where you win it, and then how we have our sort of different levels, uh, uh, we start with non-TAB, which is non... uh, You can bet... You can't bet at the betting shops, which we call TABs. And nowadays... uh, you, of course, we have online betting and that. So most most of them uh, you can bet through the your your betting services, but they do have some lower levels which would be purse money under ten thousand dollars. And then you in Victoria anyway, you start with your maidens around the what we call country tracks, uh, non non city. Tracks um, and that, uh, or during the week, and they would be around twenty-three thousand dollars. And then you'll go to midweek in the city, which would be about thirty-five thousand dollars. And then uh, on a, you don't have very many maidens, or uh, I don't think any maidens on a Saturday in the city. So your top maiden person-wise would be about thirty-five thousand. Uh, so when depending on where you win, if you won at a uh the non TAB, the lowest level, that you a, a decent sort of winner without being exceptional or anything, you know, not winning by 25 lengths or anything, would be rated in the 50s, so uh, probably like 56, 56 or so, and then if you won at the uh the, the, the country one, the $23,000 level, you would probably be rated around, between 57 and if you won exceptionally well and it was a decent field uh, of horses that had, you know, performed some placings at that level, you might get a rating of 60 to 64 and then the next level, we, what, we have what they call benchmark races, then that's sort of how you go up, you go from a maiden then to a uh, zero to 58. So any horse in a uh, with a rating of 58 would be top weight in there. And we always have a top weight, well, nearly always have a top weight of 60 kilos, which would be 120 pounds or just over. And you've got to understand a little bit that Our base, our bottom level is 54 for the riders. We have fat riders over here. They start at 54 kilos, which is nearly 119 pounds. Right. So other than apprentices, that's the lowest weight that they'll have to be, uh, other than when you get up into weight for age races and things. So, so Murray, every
1: horse is assigned a a rating. Every single horse is assigned a rating, and and the rating... Uh, who who assigns that rating number to them?
0: Yeah, we have a uh, handicapping. You know, there's a there's a group of handicappers that work for Racing Victoria. Um, the other states are similar, but I'm more familiar with Victoria, so I'll I'll talk about Victoria. Um, so within 24 hours, they 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 produce a number and. Uh, that's your rating to work with. And so after breaking your maiden, if you're you're breaking one of the lower-level maidens, your next race would be a 0 to 58. Now, they have some races where 58 is is the top. No one can be above that. But then they have benchmark races where 58 is the top. But if you go above that, say you get a 62 and you want to run in a 58, well, that's four points above, so you would... You would carry uh eight eight uh points that uh no, sorry, eight pounds above uh that.
1: So So if the benchmark was one twenty would- and you were four po- you were four points higher in your rating, you would carry one twenty eight in the race and the other horses would carry uh well depending on what their rating was, the but the, the like you said, the benchmark would be one twenty. So an eight pound weight swing.
0: Yeah. And that that's when people in uh would use an apprentice basically right. to bring their weight back down. Uh the big thing once it gets to 60, which is 120 a little bit more than 120 pounds. Uh well, yeah. Um it would be uh you know, that the horses don't seem to perform. So by using an apprentice, which we have, they start with a four-kilo claim, which would be eight pounds or nearly nine pounds. Right. Um, that's very short. I think ten wins or something, then they lose that. And then they, they go to three-kilo claim, which would be six, uh, 6.6 uh, pounds.
1: So it's not, it's not really much different than the U.S. where,
0: where bug riders
1: get 10 pounds briefly, then 7 pounds, I think, the 35 wins, and then they get 5 pounds. So it's yeah, similar go, to that go, situation.
0: Yeah, we go 4, 3, and then 2. Right. I right. don't think they have one. They may have one. I'm not sure. but You know, when, um, the, when I
1: was a little kid, they threatened us with the metric system like every year, and they told us the metric system is coming, and you people better learn it, and we were all terrified, and... Uh, that was a long time ago, and we still don't use the metric system in this country.
0: <laughs> so, no, I think America might be the only only country that doesn't. But it makes it, uh, it makes it a little because,
1: difficult when you're trying to to compare uh, internationally when when you're talking about kilos over here. Most of you know down in South Florida, we, with kilos we think of Miami Vice and you know guys sneaking <laughs> in uh, Colombians on, on boats. <laughs> um, exactly. So let me ask you a question. Uh, Okay, so we've we've thrown out some numbers, uh, 58 rating, 64. What would a top horse, um, what what kind of rating would would a a, a really nice steak horse
0: get? Yeah, when you work your way up, you're 64, and then you're 70, 78, 84, 90, and then you're getting uh, anything above 90, you'd be listed steak. Uh, ninety-five to a hundred, you'd be you're a grade two, grade three. And once you get over a hundred, a hundred points, um, you'd be a stake race because if you're a hundred points and the highest other, uh, rated race is ninety, it means you're going to be carrying a lot of weight. So you've got to basically be going in the stake races, which are weight for age or set weights. Uh, there are handicaps, but. Um, and yeah, so once you get above 90, you're really looking, uh, at running in, in set weight races or stake races, really. Right. So, so
1: Winx would be, uh, in the, in the hundreds.
0: Uh Winx. Yeah. She would have, <laughs> I don't know what she, she yeah, she would have been, uh, 120 or something probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let me ask you this. You you like you said you you've seen both
1: systems in play and what's what's uh, what's a drawback to the system in, in Australia? Uh, I'll put it this way: what's a drawback to the system in Australia if you were trying to implement something here?
0: Uh, just acceptance, really. Um, and it's not perfect. Uh, you know, you it does favor the bigger stables a little bit because. They can uh sometimes in the benchmark races where there's really no limit because you can put a seventy horse in a in a fifty you know say a seventy sixty two but you're going to be a lot more weight. you take the apprentice, you might get a four kilo apprentice, so that's eight eight points, so you know if you're a seventy that would bring you down to sixty uh sixty two right um and that's a lot of weight for for a, for a horse. And then you've got an apprentice that's very not very experienced. So what uh, the biggest stables are able to do in a say a, seven, a 64, which is sort of your second, most maidens go from a maiden up to a 64 um, because they're weighted around 62, 64. But they may win that and rise up to. A, into a seventy and be unsuccessful a couple of times, and you you point your rating will drop, but very slowly you you know with poor performances, you might drop one one point um, and not necessarily every time, depending you may run fifth beaten less than a length, and so they won't drop your rating at all they won 't nece- they won't really put it up the go the upward motion is really um for winners only. Uh, obviously, if you run a 60-rated horse in a 70 or something like that and run a very good second, they would put you up a couple, but they won't take you out of that 64 level. So they they don't... Unless you... where Where you can jump classes, you... If you run young horse, two-year-old, three-year-old, you run in a stake, it's third, say, you break your maiden, and then second start, you're running in a stake race and you win it, well, you're going to go from a 60 up to 75 or something like that, so you're not going to be able to run in the 64s anymore. Right. And you're probably not going to run in the 70s, but, but you know, the, that time you've established yourself as a higher-level horse and... and so, you know, and then even if you win a graded stake as a maiden or something, you're going to jump up to, you know, 80, 85, 90, something like that. Sure.
1: Now, what about um, distances? In uh, What if you have, uh, do you get a separate rating for a horse that, say, is, is uh, uh, running 1,000 a, a meters or 5 ace and they wanted to run uh, a mile in a, uh, you know, Eighteen hundred meters. Would they be? Would they get a different rating for a different race, or
0: no? Not not necessarily a different rating. But if your horse that is a proven two thousand meter horse, say with a rating of seventy five, and he runs in a seventy eight at a sprinting distance and performs poorly. They're not going to lower his, not gonna his number. It's not going. It's not going. You know,
1: not- so it's hard to manipulate by just running in the wrong race and getting a, a bad performance on and, and, and dropping it down because that's that's one of the things that that's uh, been posed to me. The questions, well, uh, and, and of course in in this country we have um, the different surface issue that, that that's going to come about. Um, so
0: you know, well the, we do. We do have synthetic here and that, but they don't, uh, yeah, there's no, they don't really differentiate. There are even some dirt tracks here, you know, but at the very low, well, at the lower level, there's dirt right. there's uh, tracks at the med- uh, low at medium level, but yeah, they don't differentiate. And that is the, probably the flaw of it, that once you ha- say you have a young horse that jumps up and runs really well in a stake race, just because maybe the the you know you look back on the race a year later and you realize well none of them was really stake horses, but you 'll be penalized and you 'll jump you know up very high, so all of a sudden you can 't run in those you can 't take go through your grades we call it you can 't go you know to a sixty four and win you know run a couple of times and win one and then go to a seventy and win one of them and go to a seventy eight all of a sudden those races are sort of taken away from you so that's the, that's the thing. You almost have to run at the right distance and perform badly a number of times to get your rating back down to where you find your level of competitiveness. Sure. And unfortunately, sometimes you've run too many times to where the horse needs a break or he's injured and that. So you get to your level, but the horse isn't at 100%. So, you know, that's probably the one flaw. And then, of course, you know, you get the the smart guys that – you know, I guess I don't know what you call them, but the guys that sort of don't maybe let their horses perform at a hundred percent so that they get their rating down. But you know, that's uh, you know, I, I guess there's a, there's two sides of that. That can work, but then you can waste races. And I've always felt like if you teach a horse to lose, they get good at losing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's
0: true. I I remember that.
1: There was a jurisdiction in this country, I think it was New York, where they would, um, there was, and these were stake races. They would, uh, for handicapped stake races, they would give two weights for the horse if a uh, grass handicapped stake races, because guys would put horses in that were dirt horses, and they would get, you know, ridiculously low weight. <laughs> weights on the grass because they have no grass form or the grass form is poor and if the race came off the turf it, it was it, everything was upside down because the turf horses would wind up giving the the dirt horses weight on their preferred surface and, and it uh, they, so they assigned uh dirt numbers to the horses too and, and i'll be honest i don't even know if they still do that um but uh i, I do recall that that happening for uh, for a while um, but um, it's uh, I mean, what we have now, right now, Murray, is is an issue with uh, a, a lot of bigger outfits dominate by just dropping and dropping and dropping, and the purse levels yeah. are so high, like you had stated in the beginning, that dropping and winning, if you win, it, it's it's still you're still profiting, and the problem is that. You can also hide horses you don't want to get, you don't want to keep. And uh, I think that over the last 18 months, racing has done a better job in policing uh, some of the, the horses, uh, that shouldn't be racing. The, the veterinarians, the pre-race checks have gotten more stringent. They actually have them in some places that didn't have them, and they're they're not letting questionable horses race. Uh, which of course always there's always a fine line i mean it's a gray area it, it's it's very rarely black and white where okay this horse is perfect and this horse is terrible um, but we still have yeah. that connotation and and we've added some uh, avoided claiming rules that we didn't used to have and I, I think it's it's i think it's gotten better but i don't think it's gotten to the point where we we shouldn't still try to look um, to improve. And and I believe that in some ways trying to change over to a non-claiming system is going to be uh, framed as as being beneficial to the horses, which I do believe that would be true. Uh, But the other thing is I believe that you'll you'll be able to get more competitive races. Um, I, I said right before you came on. It's hard to win races except when you start running 25000 on horses for 7500 it's not quite so hard anymore. And that's the thing is, is that if we can get a group of, of horses with comparable form, with comparable talent in races and, and it gives more people a chance to win and people that have put a lot of money into horses that turn out to not be great horses that they don't have to worry about Getting them all claimed away right away. Uh, one of the issues that that we would have if we went to a system like this here is that uh, a lot of people acquire their stable their stock by claiming them, and this would you know drastically reduce the ability for for someone to do that. Uh, wh- how did? I mean I understand it's a different country it's a different system it's it's kind of a different philosophy racing is 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 looked at differently there than it is here but um I mean outside of maybe having you know the the paddock sales at, at the tracks um
0: Yeah let let me um how it works more here and I've always said uh I've always felt um claiming races wouldn't work in Australia because uh, and the, the it's evolved because of no claiming races and like you say how do you get it how do you get a horse and everything the sales buying a, a, a horse is the only way basically so um, what what is huge here is syndication of horses to where every horse, Uh, in the program they're allowed to list 20 individual owners which sometimes one of those individual owners will be a a syndicate within itself so you can have people there's horses that have 800 owners and stuff so they buy them as yearlings basically and there are used horse racehorse sales and that and nowadays they're all online and and, you know, the big stables, Godolphin and and those type uh, sell off their horses in those sales and, and you know, uh, actually they're very good at full disclosure of veterinary records and everything and, and they wish the purchaser good luck and there's been several of them to be bought from a lot of money to little money and to go on and be successful and then there's been lots that you know, had to, uh, because their ratings were high, had to run for a while and, and end up sort of in the country and maybe running in country cups and things like that, that the Godolphin-type operations aren't inter- really interested in. So that's the trade of horses. So, you know, that's, uh, if you're keen to get in, it's more, that's the that's the avenue of buying and the group of people, like I say, anything from yourself all the way up to 800 people or more, And uh, but in the program to be listed, that entity, whether it's an individual or a syndicate, they have to own 5% of the horse, so that right. gives you 20 individual people, and you know, that's that has its ups and downs, because... Uh, you know, you get in a syndicate and there's 20 people in with 5%. And after, you know, now with the social media and everything, the jockey, I mean, the trainers have to send out videos and emails and that about the progression of the horse during training and breaking and everything, which, of course, are always rosy. Sure. <laughs> you know, like of you're course. not going to say, oh, this thing's not showing much. so He's not limping a bit much. deception. <laughs> Sorry? No, the horse, he's,
1: he's not limping that badly.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there is some deception there where, you know, people get glowing reports, glowing reports for their 5% of their $100,000 yielding, and then next thing, oh, we sold him off for $10,000 because he wasn't going to be suitable. Yeah, And that, you know, and then the other thing is as a trainer, you might have a horse for a syndicate, and you know he runs a couple of times. Yeah, he breaks his maiden, but then he's not going to—he's not going to go up through his classes. He's going to hit his level, and that's going to be his level. Right. And uh, three or four, five, half the people stop paying, but then half of them are still paying. So you—you you, to, to be fair to them, you've got to keep the horse going. Next thing, you're chasing money.
1: Yeah, the we have the same problems worldwide.
0: <laughs> Mary, yeah, exactly.
1: Listen, man, I want to <laughs> really, I appreciate you getting up early today and joining us and giving us a little bit of a glimpse of how things are done over there, and I would certainly love to have you back on, and uh, you know, you never know, once things get cleared up, I might take a field trip down and come visit you.
0: Oh, that would be fantastic, and uh Yeah, racing is great. It's one of the major sports here, and we've been lucky to keep going through this uh, virus. And it's been uh, similar to what I read over there. The handle is up because people don't have anything else to do sort of thing. And uh, it's probably going to be positive for horse racing that we've been able to keep going and entertain people and give them something to do during their lockdowns.
1: Yes, that's that's what we're hoping for. Well,
0: Murray, thank you again. I appreciate your time and uh, go have breakfast. All right, thank you, Chuck, and uh, you know, well done on on getting this together. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's great, and I'd love to be on again whenever you need.
1: You are, you are our official Australian correspondent as of right now. All
0: right, great, Chuck. Good uh, luck. Thank you. Thank you. All
1: right, Bye. that that was Bye. Murray, Bye. Murray Johnson. Uh, who uh who used to be used to be based in Kentucky and he um he had a good horse, a really good horse named Perfect Drift. Uh who, who had a a, a a kind of a nasty habit of running second a lot, but uh Murray's a good guy and uh he's he's uh he's our man. He was willing to get up in the middle of the night to, to talk about this topic, so I appreciate that uh casey tells me that we have uh paul maddie's paul are you there i'm here how you doing chuck uh, hey paul how are you perfect first was a great horse wasn't he he, he was, great he, he was. i tell you one thing that horse got checks big checks all the time yeah. he ran against really good horses every time He was. you, you know who he reminds me of a little bit is that horse that mott has that tactic or whatever his however you Yeah, a little it. bit you know he's yeah. got a he, he's a, a a top grade Kind of cal, you know, grade one caliber type horse who just seems to do a lot of running, who who, who always seems to find a way to lose, but but always runs well. That, that's uh, right. Kind of the yeah, that's, good, <laughs> that's, that's what good analogy reminding me of. Modern, But I mean, he made yeah, four and a half million yeah. bucks, so I, I'd like, to own a yeah, right. like that own Yeah, right. feel too. sorry for him, <laughs> <laughs> Paul. Uh, it was interesting that I, 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 you know, what's funny? I had seen what you wrote on Pace Advantage years ago, and. Uh, when I saw what you had posted on Twitter yesterday, it kind of brought that back to me because I remember looking at that post that you made, uh, I think it was about six years ago, and thinking, you know, there's a lot of merit to what he's saying here, but <laughs> we'd have to probably hold up the racing officials and the top trainers by by gunpoint to try to get this implemented, but... Um, you know, I think Sal's... Uh, in my intro today, I kind of said that... I mean, I've been thinking about doing something like this for 20 years. And it never really gets too far. And everybody kind of dismisses it. But in my, you know, my view is that we have to do a, a much better job of putting a better product on the racetrack. And uh, I said to Murray just a few minutes ago... At these kind of changes, a, a, a different system, uh, a handicap system of sorts, uh, a different way of classifying, would certainly be framed as a positive to horses because there, we, we wouldn't have these horses just getting dumped in claiming races and dropped in in price and, and things like that. But I think that, which of course is a benefit, and of course no one's going to argue with that part. But I really think that trying to classify like horses in races where you're protected a little bit, where it just seems, though, you could get uh, better quality fields, bigger fields, um, without so many odds on horses, which is just which seemed to be such a big issue that we have these days.
2: Yeah, you know, that's kind of was my idea. You know, when I... The idea that I... The specific idea that I posted on Pace Advantage was that that was for, for Naira when... Naira was switching over, and they were going to get the, the slot money. And like we've seen a bunch of times, you know, these the slot money didn't necessarily bring better racing for the owners or the or the betters. Certainly not for the betters. It was a little bit maybe for some owners, right? But it usually was a top-heavy thing, exactly. You know, like, and it, and it led to all the claiming and dropping, the jamming, you know. And then even on the higher end, it leads to the. You know, one of the things that I don't like about American racing right now is that these the young horses are primed to win like they're one race, you know, and I always I always think that's a mistake, you know, but I can't blame the trainers necessarily or the owners for doing that because, you know, just like you were talking with Murray, the finances aren't there to, you know, they're not there for, for every horse if, if you get when even when you get a late developing horse or you take your time it's not it's not to your best advantage financially, you know and i mean my my thought process on this was you know not only protect the horses there was there was a lot of things at work you know that was my point. I just wanted to protect the horses, I wanted to protect the owners, I wanted to make a better product for the betters, and I don't think the handicapped system. Of say like Hong Kong or international, right. even what Sal was talking about, is going to work in the United States. As far as the betters are, are going to be, they're going to blow it off. They're not going to like it. It's going to be different. So, I was trying to come up with a system that was, you know, not that, you know, revolutionary to what we have,
1: right? But but protect
2: protect the owners protect the horses
1: and and, and then solve some of the things that we've talked about you know come up with a better product you know uh, before we go on if uh, anyone the, it, listeners if you go to www.goingincirclespodcast.com, going in on the home page I posted uh, Pauls uh, his posts uh, from the pace advantage page kind of describing his system and, and i know that if you you see something visually you listen to what he says and how he explains it and it, it'll probably help to see it in, on you know written down as well that's that's one of the the weaknesses of of a of, of this kind of medium is that you, you don't have the the vision uh you know the uh the visual that 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 kind of enhances when you're talking about uh, creating a system and, and levels and 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 going from from race to race, it's it's so much easier when you actually look at it. And and so if you go to uh, the the homepage um, of Going Podcast dot com, it shows uh, the whole um, structure of, of how he set that up. So as he explains it, there is something there is somewhere that you can go to to kind of see that. Uh, yeah, my place.
2: idea was that. Uh- you know, I, I don't think it's very overwhelming. I think it's actually simpler in a sense. It's almost like, you know, the old Roosevelt and the Anchors type. The ABC. The ABC kind of, and that, that, it's not exactly that, but it, you know, kind of follows that. And that's a simple way for the, you know, it's much simpler if somebody's learning right now than what, if you have to explain to them what a maiden special weight or, or, or non-war and one other than is, you know, and, um, you know, this is even easier than that. You know, if you're just if you starting. and but it's not all that much different when you really get down to it. It just has a couple things because of that that can protect the horses and it can protect it. You know, help help the you know help the product.
1: Right. Um, talk about your view uh, for people that don't know. Paul is is a um, when you classify yourself as a professional player. Yeah, I, I've been a professional uh, horse player for
2: almost thirty years now. And I've also been an owner for thir- for that same amount of time too. So right,
1: which is good. You know, I, you know and you, you get this. I think a, a lot of the problem that we wind up with in, in, in racing is that there's so many different viewpoints, and the jockeys have their viewpoint, the trainers have their viewpoint. There's actually probably two sets of trainers now. the 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 halves have their 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 set of, right. of, of viewpoints, and the guys that are not. Have their set of viewpoints. Uh, racing management has their set of viewpoints, and uh, I, I think it's 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 important. Um, I, I was on. A, I did my podcast on Monday night le- yesterday, and I said the one thing that I can give people is the viewpoint from someone who's been able to do a lot of different. I've, I've worn a lot of different hats in this business, and there's a whole lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than I. I'm not saying that I'm smarter than anybody because I'm not. But I've worked in the racing office. I've Bred horses. I've sold horses. I've bought horses. I've trained good horses. I've trained bad horses. I've, I've um, you know, I've gambled decidedly not professionally. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I've done it with standard breads as well as thoroughbreds. So I think sometimes we get very focused in uh, our own personal view, and people are are, are looking at things. Uh, you know, people, are, trainers are complaining. Well, um, hey, why aren't why aren't the purses going up? Handles up well, handle might be up, but you don't, you realize that the casino is, is pumping in, uh, in New York, maybe 45% of the purse money and it's not up and running. And places like parks where they're getting 90% of the purse money, it's not up and running. So yeah, you gotta, you know, you, you, you're not looking at, you're looking at it only from your own barn view. You have to look at it from the, the, the view of, of, you know, what's actually going on. And, and, um,
2: Without a doubt, the uh, I always say that what makes racing so great, actually, it, it actually hurts. It is that you can go about it in so many different ways, and, and it and it, uh, you know, it's a sport. It's a it's a business. It's a it's a leisure activity. It's a you know, it's got the gambling aspect to it, it. You know, if you go if you breed horses, it's got the animals and you know, most beautiful animals in the world and it just it comes from so many different places it makes it so it makes it so great and so complicated and but yet so you know elaborate but because of that all the like you say all the different forces from where these from where all these people are coming from all have a say and they all want what's best for them and it's tough to see the whole picture and guys like me and you who have been all around that spectrum, I think it's easier for us to Put ourselves in somebody else's place, you know when they you know when when you're listening to it, you know so one of the things I, I i've I've been part of this thoroughbred ideas and i've I've stayed away from a lot of the industry stuff, but I really like um the thoroughbred ideas idea of you know that they 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 want what's best for the whole industry, but they they say that the the gambler is is actually the most important part, and the owner is the second most important part and if you if you help those two people out, everything else will trickle down to all these other groups and they're trying you know that's like kind of the, their philosophy to to try to educate these other ABC organizations into understanding that and I really believe in that I think that that's that uh, they have they have a right on, and that's why I, I really like taking part in some of the things that they're doing, because if you if you if you keep the owners happy and you keep the gamblers happy, the racing's going to keep going, and it's going to get better, and it's going to flourish, you know. And I think these other groups have to understand that a little bit more than they do. it. I know that you got to have your self interest, you know. That the breeders have to get their share and. The, the tracks have to make their money, and the ADWs have to make their money. But you have to see the whole picture, that and, and the whole picture starts with those two
1: groups. That, that's, that's so true. And, you know, racing has, has such – and it's so funny because we say, quote-unquote, racing. And there really is no racing. Racing is, is <laughs> right. a divergent bunch of uh, different groups and, and, and different – the tracks are, are mostly owned by different uh, groups and people and organizations – the uh, the horsemen uh, are, are represented by different groups um, we I mean I, I if you think about it it's crazy that the the horsemen in this country don't even have a single representative uh, group that represents everyone and no. it, it it's it's kind of you know racing is still a regional sport in so many different ways uh, and, and we tend to think of it nationally now because I, I mean, Thirty years ago, when you went to the track, you, you bet your nine races, and that was it. You, you didn't follow other jurisdictions because you you, could, you didn't have access to them. You didn't see them. You couldn't just pick up. You couldn't go online and get a form for uh, California if you were in New York. And and uh, it, it's just a uh, there's so many different uh, varieties of, of racing. What'll work at one place certainly won't work at another place. And and sometimes you see ideas that are tossed out there that would work fine at Belmont and Saratoga and Keeneland and Churchill, uh, but they're not going to work at the Finger Lakes, and they're not going to work at uh, Delaware or, or tracks like that. And and the commitment to racing ha- has waned so much, In the, uh, you go back 20, 25 years before we had alternate source of gaming, and, and really before we had ADWs, that every racetrack wanted to succeed as a racetrack. And that's not... I can't say with a straight face that some of these tracks actually want to do that. Churchill wants to drive their stock price. Churchill is willing to sacrifice Arlington Park for a, a, a crappy little casino 11 miles down the road that they don't even own the whole thing. And the, the racing is just a segment of what they do. Uh, the, the Pennsylvania tracks. Um, their commitment to racing is uh, let's do the bare minimum. A um, place like Oaklawn has been able to really flourish because they have a commitment to racing, but they also have that advantage of having uh, a year's worth of, of money stockpiled from alternate sources that they're only using in a, over a short period of time. So, yes, they look. It looks great, and Oakland's a great meet, and 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 uh, they treat people good there. And I mean, it's hard to really come up with negatives about Oakland, but but they have that little bit of an advantage, like Keeneland always did. I mean, Keeneland was always um, able to give us more money for purses than we would uh, we would. Uh, yeah, contractually there's, get there's, obligated to because of the, 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 the you know, for, for handled, but because, you know, they happen to sell a billion dollars worth of horses a year, so it, it was no, they, they were able to do that, and it's frustrating.
2: Yeah, you're, you're no, no doubt what you're saying is true, and it's it's probably not fair to, to expect the racetracks to unite. Um, that's why I've, got, I've kind of looked at it a little differently, especially since I've been part of this organization, like I said. I think the, the, the people that could unite, and I, I, I'm interested to in see what your opinion is on this is I think it's got to come from the horsemen you know the horsemen have some power that that they don't they don't use and for the most part most people aren't doing it on a day to day basis so they don't they don't go and you know organize the owners necessarily um, but if they have they have the power from the from the uh, international the, the the 1978 uh, act there, so
1: the, the, horse the have to the agree. Interstate horse racing act, yeah. The
2: interstate, yeah. The interstate act, where they have to uh, the horse. They have to agree to the horsemen to, to put any signal on, and that gives them lots of power, uh, you know, across across the lines of simulcasting. And I think, you know, if we're ever going to have, like you say, if we're ever going to have a racing,
1: it almost has to come from the horsemen uniting you know i I agree and I disagree I agree in that I think to me owners are a huge wasted resource in that owners certain owners have have massive amounts of political power they have contacts they have um they have the ability to make a phone call and talk to whoever they need to talk to and I'm not saying all of them but a lot of them far more than than trainers and what people forget is that horsemen's groups represent owners and trainers not just trainers and and certainly we do it trainers do it on a day-to-day basis for a living and very few owners uh own you know huge farms and 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 honestly even if you did it it would probably be more of a, a breeding sales component and with the racing being secondary but the problem, Paul, with with the, the Interstate Horse Racing Act, is that the tracks know that we're not gonna we're not gonna block the signal. It's just not gonna happen. I, I don't know any horsemen's organization that really these days, outside of uh, you know places like Arizona where it's just a, a total mess, right? I, you know, I, well, we uniform. can threaten has, to do it, yeah. but but yeah. I, I think one of the problems that that we have is that. Uh, like we are saying before, well, tracks aren't just, we're not just the only business they have and they stick right. it to it. I, I spent three years on the board of the Florida Horseman, uh, the HVPA and, and it was something that opened my eyes in some ways and I, I believe in some there are some things I think that the tracks are, are really good partners with us on that, that they do kind of do probably don't get maybe enough credit for, for, for helping out in, in some ways. But there's other ways that, um, if you went to Churchill downs as the horseman's organization, and you said to them, well, we want to know what you're charging, uh, this company for th- this, uh, uh this this group of batch players, they would say, "Get out, <laughs> get out of our office. We're not. We have no obligation to tell you anything." And that's that. Those are the things. Um, <laughs> those are the conversations that we we really we really. Um, uh, it's hard to have, and they're going to throw a lot of roadblocks up, and 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 there's things that, uh, that I know it's it's a huge topic, literally every day now on Twitter about uh, the jackpot pools and. Um, the the unusual betting patterns that, that that seem to hit these things and that these aren't regular people that go to the races and handicap and, 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 and figure out uh, people like the, you, you would where you're trying to figure out you're trying to win, you're not just trying to leverage um, a, a rebate, you're not trying to grind out 2% and you know because you're betting uh, 100 million dollars a year but
2: yeah well that's the biggest disappointment about the the jackpot bets and the, just the CRW players in general right now which is that's a, that's a different problem but it's a, it's a big problem right now for the threat of racing because again it goes back to what we were saying it, it's a threat to the to the horse players you know
1: it and just it's and a Paul, it to just the looks bad players. it just looks bad and I know sometimes some of the theories that are out there are kind of you know one theory was all oh, the Stronix people were actually putting tickets in themselves and I'm like come on that's not happening. No, but yeah, well, um, it, it, like but you said, it's a bad optic, and it, it is a know, bad and, optic. And I think you said something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about the late odds changes. In that it used to be that um, you know the, after the race the guys that lost were upset, but now it's the guys who won are upset because their seven to two shot goes across the wire at, at six to five, and and yeah, that that's how, how do you how do you quantify that to people and how do you explain it and it's like we have there's always things in, in racing that are a little bit difficult to explain and this is one that I, I just don't I, I have no way of, of really if someone asked me I, I wouldn't know what to tell them that would sound not like bullshit <laughs> and that well, that's yeah, the problem. Yeah
2: and you're not going to get them to come back I mean that's the you know that that's the problem you know uh, it, it's it's a bad optic, and somebody who's starting out and forget if you're just standing out starting out I've heard lots of lots of players that are that are playing now that I just know are going to they're they're not going to be playing in a year or two from now if it you know if, they, if it keeps happening because the enjoyment goes away you know, and that's uh that's a big problem you know? it,
1: it it's hard to be bombarded with bad news on a daily basis and and questionable things on a daily basis, even if it's a little bit. Some of the theories are a little outlandish. It's just the constant barrage that every every week there's a jackpot bet that's hit with a ticket that no sane person would play. And it's, it's you know, you have, um, I think as a player, even as an owner and a trainer, you, you have a right of expectation that things are going to be on the level. That uh, the trainers that win too much are going to be examined that that um, uh, odds that don't look right. Uh, th- there's going to be someone that's going to research it and figure out why. And I'll be honest, I- I'm not that confident anymore in these things happening. And there's just and, and I want to be like the purveyor of doom, but uh, I think one of the things that we, when you break it, break it, excuse me, when you, you break it down to basics, our product that we put on the racetrack on a daily basis, in general, just isn't that good. And it's worse than it was And uh, about two, three times a a month, I I find old programs and I post them on Facebook and I said, this is why I complain. Look at the card. I I posted one the other day, a Naira card from a Thursday. And the last race was a 12-horse, $100,000 claimer going a mile and an eighth with a, a, a full field. And it was like, you know, those are the type of races that, that you crave, that you want. that that's You want that to be, um, and, and that was back when we had, I think, one trifecta day. So we had one triple. It was the triple race, you know, and right. and, and those are the type of races. And I said, uh, made a comment about Steve Asmussen's first timer that won on Sunday, the Philly that, that won the first race. And she looked really good winning it, and, and she's probably a good horse. Uh, no doubt, I mean she's, she's a good horse, and, and and Asmussen does a really good job of getting the horses ready early. I said, but the thing is, like horses aren't tested anymore. They get these perfect trips in, in these races, and then they get in a five horse uh, made a stake race or a, or an allowance race, and they get another perfect trip. And next thing you know, they've got some credentials, and and then you know they're they're plotting out a three four race campaign as a three year old, and off to the shed they go, and 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 it's, it's like. You know, in a 10 to 12 horse field, you can get a bad post. You can get a bad trip. You're more apt to, to find traffic trouble. There's there's so many more variables that affect the race that uh, the most talented horse uh, it has to work harder. And as such, it turns a lot of those horses who are two to one in, into, into three to fives. And for play, people well, what like is, me... One who, of the ideas of the condition book, uh,
2: you know, ideas was that... You know, I was doing a lot, doing a lot of information, looking at uh, what I said before about um, trainers winning one race and with a with a maiden or whatever. And you know, like Todd Fletcher since two thousand and two, he is uh, he's won seventeen hundred and sixty eight races that that were maidens, and he's got just over four thousand wins in that time frame. So, you know, that's with uh, just under half of his wins are in maiden races. So that gives you an idea. You know, the average trainer a, has, a, has a proportion that's a little bit better than that, but not so much. It's only, you know, like 30, 35% of, of most of the trainers' wins are are maiden races. So that tells you that most of the races that we're running are maiden races right. that aren't that aren't very appetizing betting races. You know, no. and the idea is that you have to get these horses through these to break their maidens, and with, without like this incentive just to win one, and then they're gone, and then have a place to run after you do break your maiden. You know, and that's what my system primarily, primarily my goal was to get these horses through their maidens into a system where they would be able to run, and then classify them as equal as you can. So that you have a good race. You know, one of the problems about the handicap system in Hong Kong is that even though it's designed to bring like horses together, you'll have more, more horses in Hong Kong will be 400 to one and have horses that have no chance. Right. Because the handicap system is kind of flawed in that people are, trying, are worried about the rating. They want it to go down. You know, they don't believe they can win at a higher rating, so they'll... You know they'll run them in the wrong spots. They won't train them as hard, and run them in these races. And I don't think American racing needs that. What they need is what you were talking about with that hundred thousand dollar claiming race. We need more of those. You know, if we have if we put out that better product, first of all, it's better for the horses. But if we put out the better product, it's better for the gamblers. You know, and that's what that was the idea of the system. And what I was more trying to point out to Naira when I did this and. And now that this has become more public and I'll, I'll try to, if somebody else would want to do it, I would say it's, I don't think this is the end all. Just look at my philosophies of what I'm trying to do. I'm sure there's a better ways to do this part of it, and there's a better way to do the weight allowance, and there's a better way maybe to, uh, to do some other things. But the philosophy and the goals of what I set out to do should be the goals of the racing offices. It should be the goals of the track. Because it should be the the goals of the horsemen. Because a it's better for the horses. B it's better for the for the betters. You know, right. and that's and that's what they should be. That's how they should be looking at it. You know, what one point that, that kind of gets overlooked in my thing that I I really like the idea. The more I thought about it, I don't remember coming up with this idea as much as. But the idea of how you classify the horses now, and if you had to drop a level or whatever. And say you had a horse that got injured. So any trainer is now going to take this idea, the idea that I have of where you petition to drop a class. So say you have a, B, a B-leveled horse and, you know, you, you took chips out of his, out of his ankle and you, and you laid him up and he came back. And now you, you petition to him and say, I want to I petition that my horse is now a C. You know, sure. and you give them all the information to the racing secretary. Mm-hmm. Well, now all that's documented. You know, like in the past, you know this. If you're if you're running claiming horses, you want to hide the injuries. You right. know, you bring over You, exactly. you know, you, you you show that uh, everything's hidden. This way would be all out in the open, and the transparency is another thing. You know, the more transparency we have for the horses, it's better for them, and the more transparency we have for the betters it's better for them too and you were getting into that that point too. You know one of the things that racing has done in the past, it's kind of like a hidden secret, is that is to just keep everything underneath if it doesn't come out, guy gets a bad test. Shud McGee he gets a bad test. It was an accident, we shove it under the rug. We don't want we don't want that known. You know those are the things that are wrong in racing. That's the one and it's 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 still being done and like you said, it's actually being done worse right now. And if if we're going to start to get things going, it has to be that these that that everything becomes more transparent. I mean, this is a different issue completely, but the equi-based timing issue that's going on right now. It is,
1: but you know, Paul. It is, but it's not. Everything's interrelated, and one thing that causes you to question the validity of what you're seeing, like a timing issue, is is important because. Everything is important, and, and like like you said, you, you find out about a guy getting suspended a year and a half later, you know, right. and, that's and uh, it, that, should, ne- that should never happen. At some the point, day
2: that the test is bad. It it it, it should be out, it should be known.
1: At some you know? point, I- and this is the truth, and, and I know that people don't want to hear it, and everybody like says, "Well, that's not me," but we've got to come to grips with: we're either going to let the top out, the big outfit strangle the game to death, and kill it, or we're going to try to reform it. And bring some competitiveness back because watching some of the races, I, I mean, and I don't, like I said, I'm not the most brilliant person in the world. And, and I I don't, I'm not able to come up with computer formulas that are going to be able to to put out performance ratings or anything like this. But how many greatest horses in the world have we seen in the last seven or eight years? Like every year, there's two or three horses that, that dominate their division and, and a lot of it is because a lot of their competition exists in their same barn. And, and some of those horses get stifled or get sent out to the, the different places because That's you not have. Even the
2: to, it's s- not even the top levels only. It, no, know, and they, it's
1: seeped down to, to the second level, uh, to, yeah. to the B tracks, where one trainer, you go to Chicago, and, and there's one or two trainers that totally dominate. Um, the same, every track has got guys. Uh, I, I think Mammoth is a great kind of um, uh, it's a dichotomy this year because you have the two guys that have been dominating gone eliminated right. um, and all of a sudden you have a, a, a wide open uh more competitive a, a wide open uh, uh, not, not, not a trainer's race cuz nobody i mean honestly outside of the people who are involved in it who gives a shit who who wins who's the leading trainer the leading jockey the leading owner i mean who cares i mean it's not like a big deal anymore it's a, and, and in, in a lot of ways it's the same people over and over again I, I i've said this stated this a lot of times before i remember in the in the um, late 80s uh, early 90s there was a, the thoroughbred times had a cover it was a Belmont spring meet preview, and it was kind of a portrait-style cover with 15 trainers um, you know, uh, sitting there in, in the Belmont paddock. And the writer, it was kind of a clever way of doing it. He kind of handicapped who he thought would be the leading trainer at Belmont. And, and it's, it's laughable at this point to think that there would be 15 people who could be the leading trainer at virtually any meet. It, it's, there's essentially two or three. And some eats one, and and that's not a, a it's not a positive. And I get I get so tired of hearing people say, "Well, you know, Chuck, it's a free market." No, it's not. Free market is government interference. There's no government interference in, in, in that part of our business. The government's not telling people how many stalls you can have. The government's not ignoring uh, the rules that we've had for a long time um, that 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 kept the the comp- that kept the talent level. Uh, distributed it, it's it's just it's silly and a lot of the problems that that, that happened in europe have came here and a, a lot of the things that that happened over there where the consolidation of, of power got to be so great that you, you you get races like the we have on friday at saratoga where you had a uh you have a two-year-old philly steak on the turf the five eights the skidmore i think it is where you had 15 of the 18 nominated were, were trained by one guy and yeah, he well, does I a think, great job and and, and yes, if, if I had a 2-year-old and I wanted to win early, he'd probably be the guy I sent him to too. But how, how do we how do we how, where do we go from here when when one guy has got 82% of the nominees for a, for a, a given uh stake race?
2: Well, that's another thing too. Uh, the the system I, I tried to think about that while I was doing this, that uh, the the system has to change too. You know, um I don't think I, I solved that completely in, with this group, but uh, you know, if anybody else is thinking of ideas and whatever, uh, I, I think it's the racing secretaries and the the, the people in charge, is the directors of racing and that, those sort of people, to to try to prevent that from happening. And unfortunately, you know this as well as I do, most of these racing offices are the opposite. They're, they like that to happen. They like where they can only have to deal with the top trainers, and they pretty much squeeze
1: out the, the smaller guys well, it, it, in and some they, ways they in some that. ways paul the, it, it's just it's just the way life is the guys with the most power get the most pull and guy you know anybody that's system racing system working system. in racing their first priority to, is to themselves to stay employed <laughs> and, right. and that's I why know. some right. of these ideas have to be uh that that's why i was encouraging to see sal Put something out there because right. Sal is right. not a, a low-level guy. Sal is, is is a guy that is, he's, he's not only is a respected guy, but he he's at a in a position to make changes, and and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take someone oh, a, at a higher it's gotta level. Start, it's got to start
2: at those levels. They, because the truth they is, got to be open to these ideas and stop stop some of this stuff from happening. Paul, in
1: the end, the truth is, any ideas we want to use in this business to make it better are going to negatively affect those who are really doing well. Under the current system. And those are the people that are going to scream the loudest. But they're doing well already. It's like, you know, you talk about, you know, we all have to sacrifice in order for the common good. Well, the people uh, below the, the 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 median line, they don't have anything to sacrifice. They don't have anything to sacrifice. Uh, believe me, I was there. I've had, I, I had where I had 75 horses in two or three different locations. I, I had the last year when I finally quit training, I was down to about seven or eight horses. And once you get under a certain number of horses, and you don't have some sort of powerful owner, you you feel like you're fodder. You just go to fill races for other guys, and yeah, you, my, you can't win. My
2: brother's been in that position for a while now too. He's yeah, and, you know, and it, and it he, just gets
1: to be where you you say to yourself, every day he about getting out. You know, I, I, yeah, I can't win. How am I going to win? And it's right. it's uh, that's that's but, that you know you're only as like strong you as said- your weakest link, and and and, and in this sport you know it's even in every balance. other sport you okay. you you have restrictions on roster size you have salary caps you have drafts you have things to try to create competitive balance and in this business we do we seem to do everything that that works against competitive balance and a system like yours or some variation of that some variation right. of something would help do that and and again the problem is going to be getting it through too. the people who are going you know. to be negatively affected.
2: The general thought process has to change too, and you know, and the big guys they can they they can use their power, or whatever. But this is not just hyperbole. It, there won't be racing, you know, if 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 it continues. So I think they will see that eventually. They, I know, I, I know your business is. I want to get five hundred thousand horses, but I think at some point they'll realize if if I have all the horses and nobody else has any, uh, you know that's not that's not good either so um hopefully hopefully you know i have hope i'm not one of the, i'm not that pessimistic to you know i i know people have said stuff to me how can you keep uh you know holding on to hope and whatever we all know that it is a great game it is it is worth saving, so i, I will keep trying and i i think the people will eventually get it in in at the, at the, at the levels we're talking about that need to get it. Well, but I think it, you're going to need some pressure from, from groups like the, the racing ideas, uh, maybe some a national horseman group that's more owner based than trainer based and yeah. something like that. And hopefully we'll, uh, hopefully someday we'll get there.
1: I, I agree. Paul, listen, I, I appreciate you giving your time up to come on and, um, and I'd love to have you on, uh, again, uh, yeah, anytime, Chuck. Great talking to you. great, thank you, Paul. Yep. yep. Thanks, Bye. Paul. That was Paul Maddie's, a Bye. professional player and owner for for thirty years. Uh, Paul's came up with with a classify, classification system, kind of unique to Naira, but uh, it's on our website at www.goingincirclespodcast.com. dot uh, com. Check it out, and uh, if you have any if you have any questions, um, email them to me, and I'll forward them along to Paul or um, you can um, you can get Paul at uh, uh, on Twitter at Paul Maddie's Jun- Matties Junior. Um, he's on Twitter pretty much every day, so um, uh, it, it, it's it, it's encouraging to hear people like him uh, still have enthusiasm and, and still have positive thoughts that that, that we can fix things and, and, and make things better. Um I want to introduce our next guest who is uh past supper time now. We ha- our first guest was was before <laughs> breakfast and now Ilka's past supper I'm sure, but
3: um ready for bedtime.
1: This is it's re- w- what time is it there?
3: It's um 20 past
1: 8. Oh, you're yeah. good. You're good. You know you're not <laughs> going to, you know you're not going to sleep. This your daughter's probably keeping you up.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're right.
1: Uh, for everyone that doesn't know, Ilka trains. Uh, how many horses do you have now?
3: We have sixteen at the moment.
1: Sixteen horses, and you're outside of Newmarket.
3: No, we're directly inside in, in Newmarket. So you're right? in. in you're actually
1: in Newmarket. Does, does yeah. your Does your yard have a name?
3: Yeah, it's called Saint Wendred's. Um We bought this. A couple, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, and hi everybody. And um, it's good that the the previous guest left everything on a on a hopeful note because I was getting a little bit depressed because <laughs> I'm in that boat, um, um, on the other side. So, um, yeah, so our yard is called St. Wendred's It's named, it was us- it was part of a yard named seven Springs before, and we got it in the summer of, um, 2015. So we're on the Ham. If, if there's diehard racing fans, we're on the race course side of town of new market on the Hamilton road. So there's two sides of town, but everybody can use any part of the facility. So It's um, 2,500 acres of training grounds in Newmarket. You so, saw it when you were here, right? So I, I, really- I
1: did see I, – I didn't see your place in particular, but, um, I, I mean, Newmarket is just uh, an amazing place, and anyone ever gets a chance to, to get over there um, during I, – I wasn't there during the races. I was only there for the sales, but um, – it, it's a, uh, if you love horses, th- this is, is, is heaven. It's really a, a yeah, an please, amazing please place. Yeah, please come and
3: visit us. It's it's like they say, like the, the home of horse racing, or, you know, when you think about it, 350 years or even a little bit more, um, this is where the thoroughbred originated. So it's steeped in that t- type of history. Um, you can, the Godolphin Arabian actually is buried uh, right outside of Cambridge, so Newmarket is about twenty minutes from Cambridge. So I, when I found that out, I was like, "Oh my god, I got to go see that grave," you know. Yeah, um, that
1: that that's the, uh, cool. the that's the original uh, one of the original the, one of
3: the original right. founders. Yeah, those the three founders. So yeah, it's like wow, I, can, I didn't even know it was it was here. But like, so the race course side, we have two um, race tracks in um, Newmarket. One is called the Roly Mile. That's where they run the 1,000 and 2,000 guineas in May. So our, like, first Saturday in May um, is is the guineas, the first uh, leg of the English Triple Crown. And then they have something called the July course. They're kind of next to each other. Um, they run – they don't only race there in July. They race – it's like the summer track. Right. And then um, a lot of, you know, a lot of distances are run over a straight course. And then, you know, that – that Roly Mile is named after King Charles II or whoever it was that started horse racing because that was the pony that he rode or like his hack, his stable hack. And, and they would do match races out here on the Newmarket Heath, as they say. So when you're riding out here, sometimes you have to cross the track, the race course proper to get to some training track that you want to use. And you're like, wow, you know, this, is, this grass has been here for 350 years and hasn't been used for anything else. But um so we have all the grass that you can imagine uphill, right-handed, left-handed and all that stuff but um it's also 28 miles of synthetic tracks all weather gallops as they call it over here and then there's one that's a wood chip and a few like fiber sand things so it's up to the trainer to decide where they want to go with their horse
1: Sure um where where do you uh where do you race uh you have to ship everything to run correct
3: yeah, that's the other thing. That's like the crazy thing. That that's the drawback. Really, I mean, it's interesting because you you go sometimes up north, almost on the Scottish border, and again, some of those tracks they they have such a you know they've been race for hundreds of years. So like the the turf is like amazing because the roots are so strong, and you know even when it's really hot, it's almost it still rides like a carpet. But yeah, that's like the drawback because. um you could be going anywhere, and some of those things are overnight. And then everybody knows how bad the prize money is in England. So um, you're always, you're, every trainer has like their own, or depending on how big they are, a couple of their own horse uh, boxes. You know those two horse boxes, right? And 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 sometimes they even have the really big ones. Like you know, you need to be have a special license to drive them. Sure. So you do a lot of your shipping in house. Sometimes you share, or sometimes there's a bigger company that takes a couple, but it's be- it's like every trainer, no matter how big or small, you ship your horses it's, on a daily basis.
1: So you spend a lot of time on the road, basically.
3: Yeah, and then for the jockeys, it's a killer. Now, after the COVID um, pandemic, they are only allowed to ride at one meeting. But in the, before this, it would be crazy. They would have, like, two rides at Yarmouth, which is on the seaside, uh, like an hour away from Newmarket, and then they would ride the evening meeting down by Heathrow Airport in London, and then you're like scrambling, like as a trainer, then you're scrambling to get a jockey. That guy might have some affiliation with somebody where they have to ride this horse, but you know, they can only ride in the first and second race, because then they have to jump in the car and drive somewhere else, so it's it's really hard on the, on the jockeys as well, because they're getting up early in the morning riding work, and then if you're like if if you know you go racing with the horse as a trainer, most of the time, then you know you might end up driving that horse box yourself, or you you're running in a night race, and then you come back and and then you're back in the barn at four o'clock, four thirty. So,
1: dude, you can't uh, let you sleep I, in. You know, I have a question. And I, and it it just dawned on me. I never thought about this before. But do jockeys over there have agents?
3: Yeah, they have agents, but it's also that's also something that I always moan about, because that was really hard to get used to. Like, you know, when it's all central, when you're at the track, that agent is, you know, working the barns, coming by, seeing you, these guys, I don't even know what they look like. There's right. one guy that's come by and made the effort, but he doesn't even live anywhere near me. He lives up in Yorkshire. Um, but when he's down here, he's come in and said hello and we've had a coffee. But And then those agents also have humongous books, like... There's, like, one guy, he's, like, he owns, like, Northern England. Right. Like, he has 20 jockeys.
1: He has 20 jockeys.
3: Yeah, it's craziness. It's, like, why do they not cap it? It's, like, totally unregulated. And I get into that, too. Because then you call him, and he thinks he's, like, the queen of England.
1: Yeah, yeah, well. And,
3: and no, that guy's not available. And it's, it's almost like he's good friends with, you know, it's just, that's something they really should look into. But they have a lot of things to look into. But... They, that takes a lot. I, you know, that whole personal level thing goes. If you see somebody every morning, sure, it's a different story, and you can have a personal conversation here. It's, it's um, so it's forty-eight hour declarations here. You enter five days before entries are five days before, and then you declare forty-eight hours before. Right. And you have uh, by ten o'clock online, and then um, by one o'clock you need a jockey. Obviously, when you the best case scenario is that you're all set and you, uh, declare with, you know, who you're going to be riding.
1: Sure. Otherwise you're left sometimes, scrambling. Like, yeah,
3: and sometimes it's like, yeah, we want to ride your horse, but he has to, I don't know if this guy's going to declare his horse at this other meeting, but now at least now it's, easy, <laughs> it's slightly easier. All jockeys are only allowed to ride at one meeting. So everybody's kind of, you know, who's going to be where it
1: was, it was kind of like back in the day when you had Jerry Bailey. And he said, "Yeah, I want to ride your horse, but if Mott puts one in or Shug puts one, in, I'm riding theirs." So yeah, <laughs> you're, you're beholden awesome. to uh, to those guys, and, and, and you were going in the race, and you would tell the owner, "Well, we have Bailey, maybe." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. it, it's, it, it's never uh, exactly. it's a it, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing, and, and it's funny because a lot of times, like hear people handicap, uh, they'll say, "Well, hell, you know, he had a, he he, he must have had his choice between this horse and that horse, and he took this horse," so uh, not knowing that. You know, he, he got fired from the other horse, or the agent pissed somebody off, or the, there's so many different things that can happen. And uh, I mean, one of the problems that, that we have now that uh, Ilka worked for me um, back when I started out. Um,
3: when we had all the good horses.
1: Yes, we had a lot of good horses. Ilka one day worked a horse emotion. for me. She put jockey silks on and worked a horse at Aqueduct in 110 won, won and 2. Which is the fastest anyone's ever worked for me by far. Chuck was not there in person.
3: <laughs>
1: no, no. They called me up and they said, me. "All right, you're going to get mad, but you know, or don't get mad." Which is, of course, like the worst keyword or the trigger word. There is okay, don't get mad, which means okay, I'm going to get mad. It's like when the, these uh, phone calls, you get these automated calls. Don't hang up, which means hang up. <clears throat> but um, you know, we have an issue in this country that that's that's been exacerbated since you were here in that uh kind of like like what happens to you guys is there's a consolidation of all the good horses and more importantly all the good owners with a small amount of, of outfits and it's got to be uh, a, a real issue in we're seeing short fields galore at the upper levels and uh, you know there's also the 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 side effect of the, the trickle-down theory on, on the jockeys and that the top four or five guys are literally riding every good horse. And it used to be you had a top eight or nine, and now outside of the top four or five, it really is a big drop-off because those guys are riding for first call for these you know these powerful stables, and they literally have a horse for almost every one of these races. But everyone else has nothing. And, and that's yeah. that's an yeah, issue yeah, that yeah. that we have here, and that's why I think one of the ideas behind a system, uh, and, and certainly uh, we're not that concerned about uh, Chad Brown and Bob Baffert uh, dominating the claiming races because they're not that involved and most of the time when they put them in a claiming race, they're they're probably hoping that they don't. They're probably hoping that they win and and, and no longer own the horse or you know no longer train the horse after the race. But the the, the secondary issue is these these claiming stables these really big giant claiming stables that have a lot tons of money and they have um you know tons of horses uh where, where they're just dropping horses and kind of bashing people over the head with their their numbers and it, it leads to a lot of short fields and it leads to a lot of short price favorites and uh wh- neither which of is, is is a good thing for the health of the business, so. Uh, you know, some of the ideas that we've kicked around for years is something similar to what you guys do with the, the handicap system. Though I, I know from conversations with you, the handicap system that you guys uh, have in, in England, which I guess is not that dissimilar to to what they have in Australia, because Murray Johnson was on early and, and he was talking about uh, how they do it in Australia. But, yeah, the um, English
3: would say they are, they, are, they invented the handicap. R- <laughs> they were, English would say they are the ones that you know.
1: Australia's emulating theirs. Yeah, I know, I you know, I know we all kind of uh broke off from you guys over there, but um you know, like like explain you know we've had this conversation a million times people over here sometimes get european uh, infatuated and they think that every horse in europe is sound and doesn't bleed and doesn't need medication and and they they all can race three times a week and and everybody's chummy and buddies and and uh, they don't see the 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 you know they they just watch royal ascot and they watch the queen and they watch you know those type of horses and and they don't realize that that's that's not an everyday race card over there and, and just kind of describe some of the issues that, that you have um, with the handicap system that, that that's in place there.
3: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, first, I was just going to say one more thing with the like good horses make good riders and good trainers, you know? So it's always like when, when everybody's just like giving the guy 350 horses and how you're supposed to prove yourself. And it's only one jockey rides, but anyway, yeah, handicap for me. Like I always, to me, like the handicapping system means you have to lose and to be able to win, basically all the time. So I don't, I don't know why anybody would be in favor of it. Because you have to, you have to lose. If you have a mediocre horse and you start you have so you have to run. You know the base, the basics are covered, right? You need to run three times to get a mark, unless you win first time out. If you have a two-year-old and you win first time out usually you can't get a mark because the handicapper doesn't have a handle on, like, the competition yet. But let's say you have a three-year-old and it's three runs, then you get your handicap mark. But if if you, like, kind of figure out in the morning this isn't going to be a superstar, then you kind of, you know, logically speaking, you want to have a low handicap mark. Then again, everybody wants to train the Royal Ascot horse, but that's, you know, everybody wants to have those horses, but... Um, so
1: a low handicap mark will get you in an easier race.
3: Yeah, but here's the but. First of all, that takes time and money because you you know unless you can run them like three times in a month, you know what I mean. And sure. That usually doesn't. You know, all those things usually don't happen. And then you have these specialists. If you go back and you look at a few races, I can tell you some names now. First three runs, the horses were went off at 150 to one, 100 to one something like that eighty to one three times, and then sure. um first time in a handicap three to one
1: so so they suddenly so just got better
3: yeah, and then they win because right. they've been so you kinda to do that kind of thing is so you have a few specialists where they always say, oh this guy's has hundred oops he has hundred thousand dollar horses that then um that he put so he has like something with an engine already. So, if you have like a lowly rated horse that's running in its right grade, you might be bumping into this monster that's not even supposed to be in that grade. And then everybody says what a genius the guy is because right. he ran him three times over the wrong trip.
1: Um, right, right. Or so, whatever. So, so I, like, I, I had asked Murray about that. I said, what, what, if, what if you had a. a, a uh, uh, a two thousand meter horse, and, and you ran him twice in five uh, in a thousand meter races, knowing that the horses would get bad uh, would get bad race, you know, wouldn't run very well because it was half the distance he should be running. Would that affect the rating? He said most of the time, no, it, it it wouldn't affect the rating. They would just kind of ignore those races because that's not his main trip. So when he went back to the his actual best distance, he he would probably maintain his 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 rating of uh, pre four. Do you, yeah, and, do you have We're access to the handicapper? The like, can you question race. them? Or is it, is it they live in an ivory, ivory tower, they make the decisions, and, and it's final?
3: Oh, you can call them, and, and like, sometimes you think you, you, you feel like you've been unfairly, you've gotten an unfair mark, and you can call them and say, listen, why did you give me, um, now I can't get into that race. Like, usually you call them because they gave you a rating that you think is too high. That's mm-hmm. why you would call
1: Right, right. Uh, so you you have you know, you've you've told me before that you've entered in races and, there, and there's been so many horses in the race that, that uh, uh, I, I mean, like thirty five horses. So
3: oh yeah, we got, right, right now all the everybody always says they want to like upgrade the standard of racing, but if you look at these low level races this time of year or like right before that you know, the horses in training sale. you yes. cannot, you can't get in, like, you get balloted out. Even, they split the races sometimes. There's always, like, certain times of the year where it's, like, where it always happens, but, um, of course, this year is even more special, you know, but, um. Sure. Um, you have, you know, they'll have.
1: Are you, did, are you still they'll here?
3: They'll write a card, and they'll have, like, they'll even be, like, a system where it'll be, like, did I lose it, Casey? first preference. Oh, device. no, you're this back. Races.
1: Yeah oh, you you you, you faded fade out for a second.
3: Oh I oh sorry I said they'll write like a card and you'll enter in a race and they'll even say this this race is first preference to divide because there will be like one or two slots that, that, you know you'll know which race car which which race meeting will um split a race. Right. It right. always depends on media rights and what they're airing and, sure. and time of day.
1: H- have so you, um, have, have you ever raced in a selling race?
3: In um have we raced in one? No, we haven't. Because they have over here. They have claiming races and selling races. I've run in some French claimers. Like French prize money is so much better than in England. Right. And English racing is calling me up. It. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and um, so it's sometimes it's worth it to go over to France to run in a claimer.
0: Sure. But they
3: have they here. They have so sell, a seller is when you can. Um, the winner gets auctioned off like like as if it's like um like the winner circle becomes like the auctioneer ring
1: right only the winner though
3: and but everybody else in that race is in for for a, um set tag
1: okay okay so the like selling race, race everybody would be in for say 20,000 except the horse that won they have an auction for him in the winner's circle after the race
3: yeah and the, and he might then even go for less than everybody else is in because <laughs> like the the starting point of that of that auction is lower than, right. than the advertised price.
1: Right. That that, that So that's, that's a seller,
3: a... and then a claimer is a claiming race where your um, the weight is usually like a handicapped claimer. So you so um, the weight that
1: you the carry more weight you carry, horse the, the higher the, your price.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of say, I want to put this horse in for eighteen or whatever, right. and but then that's what you have to carry. So, so those can come up pretty tough.
1: Yeah, I can. You can, imagine. You
3: can bump into some competition there.
1: Sure, and I, I think that that's very common. I think one of the problems that we're having, and the, and the 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 guest that was on before, Paul Matties, who's a professional handicapper and owner, his his worry about trying to come up with a system other than claiming is that Americans aren't used to dealing with weight. Weight is not much of a factor anymore. We don't have very many handicaps, and uh, the spread is very small when we do. So. It would be a little unusual to see American horses suddenly carrying 132 pounds versus other horses carrying 118 pounds. And and, and that's something I, I, I kind of agree with that it would have to be eased into. A, I think if we started telling people that their 10 claimers are going to carry 134 pounds because they're running against eight claimers, <laughs> it, it, might, it might cause a lot of consternation. But um, Ilka, I, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your night to um to join us and uh i'd certainly love to have you back on uh on, an, on another show and uh if the if we're ever allowed to travel out of the country uh i'd love oh to God, come back yeah. to the new market sale I, that was that was a, that's a fun sale that, that that is the most fun i ever had to uh buy yeah horses. come and
3: visit anytime please and and the, as soon as, as, soon
1: as mr trump allows us out of the please. country again we'll, we'll be uh i'll be over
3: yeah cool and i i'm still i need to have a runner in saratoga
1: I hear you. We'll get one. All right, Ilka. Thank you so Thank much you. for
3: having me on the show.
1: Thanks for being on.
3: Bye. Take care.
1: Bye. That—that's Ilka Gancera, Leveque. I believe her her last name is uh, Trainer in England. That uh, it was. It's interesting to 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 know that. Seller races, only the winner gets auctioned off, and everyone else has a set price. I, I did not know that. Um our next guest and our final guest of the day is uh, Elizabeth Rogers from, from Charlestown. Elizabeth is the racing secretary at Charlestown and she certainly would o- offer us a, a a racing official's perspective of of um conditions and, and such. Um Elizabeth, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, very, very pleased to have you, uh have you on the show. Um Thank
4: you. I, I appreciate you for uh thinking about me and asking me to join you
1: certainly you um, how long have you been racing secretary at Charlestown
4: yeah so I picked up that mantle in uh, July of last year actually so it hasn't been too long um, prior to that uh, I believe I want to say it was 2015 I had moved into the assistance position uh, out there or out here at Charlestown and uh, I've actually been here at Charlestown since 2012.
1: Eight years at Charleston. I think you, you, they they should give you a medal or something.
4: <laughs> is that, is that night I mean? night
1: racing is not easy. I I worked at a harness track for a couple years and it it, it seems like um, it's twenty four hours of racing when you're drawing races in the morning and you're you have races in the at night. But uh, it cer- uh, certainly
4: has its, uh, its pros and its cons and uh, with. The market out there, as it is, the uh, the nighttime slot certainly helps uh, for for our business. And um, trying to go up against the uh, the heavy heads on a Saturday afternoon is not really in the best interest there.
1: How, how has business been uh, since you guys came back during the pandemic?
4: Yeah, it's actually been really good. I uh, was seeing the first Mid-Atlantic track to get going again. It was uh, May 14th, was our, our first racing day back. And actually the first uh, week, uh, we saw it handle like $4 million a night um, wow. the first couple of days. It slowly started to trickle down as we expected sure. as more tracks get opening up and everything. But it I feel like we've actually been able to maintain a lot of new betters people that hadn't seen us in the past and got the opportunity to see the racing and, and the product we offer. Uh, the fact that we are year-round racing offers a lot of consistency in our horses. Um, you get Rather than places like uh, Saratoga-Delmore, uh, where you get horses coming from all over the place uh, to, uh, to compete, you get Charleston to get a lot more consistency in their past performances.
1: You know, I, I think that's an interesting point when we're talking about the, the main topic of the show today, which is uh, systems other than claiming, which was brought up by, by Sal Sinatra, um, who's the, the, I guess he's the VP of racing uh, at uh, the Maryland Jockey Club, and with, with claiming um, making up about two-thirds of the races nationwide, uh, it's a big it's a big chunk, but at a track like Charlestown, it might be a little bit different because you guys have um, a, a majority of horses are claimers, but you're also, you don't have a whole lot of shippers in and out. And, and I think one of the the negatives of any rating system would be comparisons um, over different tracks uh, where, where um, to get a, a, a standard scale of... Um, performance ratings that encompassed every track equally it would seem to be that that would be that would be a little bit difficult and um oh, you Definitely. know with, you, with um, you guys having mostly this uh, and, and you have a bullring type you know how it's five ace track so it, uh, it's a little quarters. Bit, three quarters okay it's, it's yep. a it's a little bit of a unique uh track compared to the bigger track so you would think that horses w- would uh that thrive there would 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 stay
4: yeah. Well, and it's definitely fairly interesting because um, part of being uh, out here at Charlestown, I was a student out at the Racetrack Industry Program and we're with the trainer out there that uh, she had a horse that was definitely that ring specialist. You get this very neat track around Arizona and nobody could touch the horse. And then you take the horse to a mile track and you couldn't find him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's definitely uh, becomes a bit of a it's always that question mark. Anytime you've got somebody sending a horse uh, to our track for the first time, you know, is the horse going to like, you know, the tighter turns, the shorter stretch, and, um, and just how the race plays out. You really have to have a jockey that understands how to ride on a smaller track and when to make that move because the move isn't in the same place as where it would be on the mile track. And yeah, uh, I think the right. next example I like to use is imperative uh who's when the term kind of classic multiple times and uh he made if you want go back and watch his races, he's making his move going into the back side of the track um for the when you they, they because it ends up being a, a three turn race, and he actually made his move very, very early and and got it done, which says that you know you can't have a closer and do and,
1: and well at the track. You just need to know when to make that move with the horse. Yeah, there was a, um, I mean, I don't know if I'm I'm, I'm on this uh, bandwagon, but uh, it, it's been said that um, Smarty Jones lost the Belmont Stakes because Stuart Elliott moved too early because he wasn't used to riding at the, the mile-and-a-half track and, and where the three-eighths pole, would would normally be it, it's it's the half mile pole, and yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's uh, I I don't know that I, I I don't know that 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 actually is a valid excuse or not, but that that was no um, yeah, that was one of the theories, and certainly yes, a, a three quarter track is is going to be a different uh, makeup, mm-hmm. um, and, you, right. and your back your backside uh, makeup is is different than a lot of the other tracks, the bigger tracks, in that you have um, more people that are are kind of all encompassing people that, that bred their own horses, raise their own horses, own them and, and, and train them.
4: Oh yeah. Um, there the, the West Virginia Bread State program uh, here is, is very much uh, set up to to benefit these small mom and pop uh, breeders. Uh, most every trainer in our barn area I, And I think most, a good majority, a good number, uh, have a mare or two mares out at a farm. Um, You know, they they breed, you know, their own horses and and bring them to the races and and take full advantage of the state bred program that we have. And um, these guys, you know, they, for them, They've put in so much time and money and investment uh, in these horses by the time they, they get them to the races. They're not going out there and buying your top-of-the-line horses, you know, to, to bring back here and race at Charleston And, um, you know, they're breeding their own horses here in West Virginia. Uh, they might go to the mid-Atlantic uh, sales and pick up some of the, you know, the horses that go for a little bit of a lower price tag, um, so good horses, still so horses with a lot of potential, um, and, and bring them back here to run. And uh, so you see a lot of our trainers um, are in this game at a, even more personal level because they put in the, the time, and the effort, and the hard work, and you get that emotional value um, from those horses that you've raised, um, you know, all the way through until their first start.
1: Sure. So let me ask your opinion, and this is just your opinion, not your, this is your opinion as, as Elizabeth, not as a racing secretary. But do you think that a system that didn't risk horses for a low taming, claiming price would appeal to those type of people, being that they have so much invested in them and that, that they raise the horses, that they, they own the, 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 the mother, they own the siblings, and, uh, you, you know, you hate to see a horse go out there um first time out and or second time out even third time out and and get claimed for 7500 which certainly wouldn't pay uh would 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 wind up being a net loss for because you you just can't breed and raise a horse for no matter where you are for, for that kind of money do you think that would be appealing
4: i i i would tend to think it would um Prior, when I was back uh, at the racetrack program at, at the University of Arizona and I was working with the trainer out on her farm, um, we had mares and a an stallion and we were breeding. Um, we had these foals that we were raising, um, you know, raising from birth and training and getting them ready to go to the races. And the amount of money um, that goes into that uh, and to then risk, losing that horse, you know, within, you know, only a couple of starts, uh, trying to earn that back is not, you know, it's very difficult. Um, There was a horse, actually, that um, I didn't, at the time, I didn't own any part of the horse, um, but I had helped with training the horse. I was there from basically the moment of its birth until uh, the horse went off to to the racetrack. And um, the horse actually ran out in California, and the um, the horse ran its horse race out at Santa Anita, um, made in claiming 25, didn't run um, very well, but still the excitement, you got your horse there, your horse is at Santa Anita, it's racing. And uh, ended up going for a second start up to Golden Gate, uh, went up there for eight. And all the owners were <laughs> ecstatic, they were excited. And, um, you know, and then they're trying to figure out, okay, you know, where can we run next? So, of course, you know, your first side was like, okay, he won pretty easy. You know, let's kind of step him up a little bit and see how he does. Didn't work out. Ended up bringing him back down, and he did get claimed away in his fourth start. And um, I can tell you, again, there, that uh, even though a lot of those owners bought in later, um, once the horse was already prepping for, for racing as a two-year-old, um, all those owners, they, they lost money on the deal. They had a lot of fun, but they lost they lost money. And uh, and it just shows how expensive and and how difficult it can be if you're you know a smaller organization or a smaller group of individuals to uh, to afford to to play part of the game. And uh, I think that's where it, it was interesting with the handicap system uh, that they employ other places. How that could potentially help protect these people's investments and, and give them a chance to actually earn that money back.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's it's uh. It's, it's expensive i mean listen it raising horses at a lower level is not what your money manager or the person who uh, was in charge of your finances would probably recommend doing but uh, i mean there's there's certainly an attachment to the horse itself and, and to the the family and to, to see the horse um be born and, and raised and and go into training and, and you know get their gate card and get to the races and do well it, it certainly is a um it, it's really a, a, a process that that a lot of people enjoy and and they understand it's going to be expensive and it just would be nice that if we could give someone an alternative um okay. to be able to you know to to race their horse to a certain point i mean at a certain point horses have to be competitive too i mean going out there and running Last every time is 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 not really, you know that that doesn't do anybody any um, good either. I mean, people, you know, the, the, no one's going to bet on the horse. They get in the way, and they, they don't really have any chance. It Gets to be, um, you know, the, those those aren't beneficial to anyone either. Be, I mean, we we know field size is important, but it's, it's better when field size is is big and. The, the horses, even the long shots, have some sort of, of uh of a chance to, to be involved and in, in, on the board. But um you would of course know that better than me, being that this is what you're doing for a living nowadays. But but um uh you guys have a big uh, a, a big event that I was surprised, I'll be honest. I, I was surprised that um I I was I wouldn't have, but I I should say I wouldn't have been surprised if you guys had postponed it this year. Uh the do you have the Charlestown classic coming up soon?
4: Yeah. Um it's coming up uh next next Friday, August twenty eighth. Uh we actually take entries a week from today for the races, so uh, any of the listeners are interested, hopefully we'll have an overnight up on the up online by this time next week. Uh but something unique uh, this year Usually we run two graded stakes cards a year, uh, one in April, one in September. And with everything going on and the delay, uh made the decision this year for the first time to actually run both of our graded events on the same day. Uh, so we're going to have the grade two Charlestown Classic and the grade, two, uh, grade three Charlestown Oats uh, on the card, uh, which we're, we're looking forward to. And uh, we're getting a lot of interest from trainers. Um, the, po- the feedback's been really positive and really
1: looking forward to it. I I think it's going to be a good year for everybody in that. That, that that's really great. Uh, so uh familiarize me with the grading rules. You cannot run is it, is it you can take 1 year off but then you have to run otherwise you lose a grade or or are you in jeopardy of losing a grade if you don't run?
4: Yeah, um I'm I'm a little fuzzy on, on some of the grading rules. I've I've looked at it more I would think from that, a, a listed standpoint with our, our state red sticks and and making sure that they're getting their listed status. Yes,
1: they get black type. Um, yeah, it, it's I, I would mm-hmm. guess this year. It, I mean, because it, it wouldn't be just racetrack saying, "Well, geez, we're not going to run the race." It's it's a uh, there's so many circumstances beyond. I mean, every, everybody's basically oh. running for. Um, for less money what What i mean Gulfstream yep. is really probably the only circuit out there i i don't know i don't check everybody's purse levels all the time but they handle so much and, and we get so little from the casino here that um that they're able to kind of maintain purse levels but uh, i mean saratoga is a track that's running for reduced purse levels and, and i know they've they postponed <laughs> some stake races this year and um keeneland yep. certainly uh had had some uh had some changes having having to go to um uh, uh, a five day meet as opposed to a, mm-hmm. a three week meet. But um it's it's good to see um it's good to see that you guys are still uh still going strong and, and uh you know a lot of people kind of downplay the small tracks and to me they're important. They're important they have a place in the uh in the landscape of racing because I don't know how you get people involved in horse racing, from a newcomer standpoint, unless they can attend, unless they can actually go and see the racing, um, and, and I think the, the the smaller tracks give people an opportunity in, in places that aren't New York City or aren't Los Angeles to to be able to be exposed to racing. And I think that, um, that as we continue to continue to consolidate if we don't have tracks like Charlestown. Um, or some of the Texas tracks are running at nighttime, people are still going to bet something, and they might wind up betting something else. And I I think it's important uh, that there's a, a, a level, too, for horses to find.
4: Certainly. And I see a lot of horses uh, that are trainers and owners bring here. Uh, we actually do see a lot of horses that come up from Gulfstream Park, Tampa, um, down in Florida, and, and come to Charlestown. And these are horses that just aren't quite competitive enough uh, for the horses that are in those areas because Tampa um, and Gulfstream can be very, very competitive, especially during the winter time. And uh, so you see a lot of horses that aren't quite cutting it uh, down there at Gulfstream, but then they come up here to Charlestown they do just fine, um, and, and they're quite successful. And in some ways, you can kind of think of the, the various racetracks out there in the same way as the, the grading systems, and um, that, you know, yes, you know, we may not have your your grade one horses here all the time, um, but, you know, we do have courses that here that are coming in together that are at a, a similar ability level. You know, the, the horses are, you know, they're healthy, they're happy, they're sound, uh, they're competitive, and, and they can race competitively here. Um, and then, you know, should they get to the point where they're they're not able to, um, you know, we have our uh, programs for helping with uh, placing the horses and everything, and some horses will also, you know, that are still, good to run will make the trip up to Mountaineer, where, it, you know, it's just like one slight, you know, drop down um, up there at Mountaineer, and, and then they can be competitive up there and, and do quite well. Uh, so I, I definitely think the smaller tracks serve the purpose and uh, for those horses, but also for the economies of the area. Um, the, the agricultural economy for Jefferson County, where Charlestown is located, um, definitely relies quite heavily
1: on uh, the racetrack and, and all the businesses it supports. Sure. Absolutely. So. Yeah. The economic impact of a racetrack is, is far greater than just handle. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what is yep. the, what's your schedule like for the rest of the year? Um, what are you guys planning on? Like, do you have a, a plan going forward?
4: Um, right now, uh, we're originally scheduled to run three days a week. Um, and that goes through eh, not quite the end of October. Um, and then the original plan was to change over to four days a week. Um, right now they're still talking about it. We've been fortunate enough thus far not to have the need to cut purses at all. Right. Uh, so that's, you know, always in the back of everybody's mind, making sure that, uh, you know, we can continue to, to raise that at the level that we are. Um you'll notice on, on the Charleston Classic and then Charleston Oaks that the purses did take a cut and a lot of that motivation was to try to preserve the, the overnight purse account uh, for the horsemen and and keep them going um and, and keep them in, in business and running. Sure. Uh so right now the plan is we'll we'll be changing over to four days a week in October. Um of course always subject to change depending on what goes on with uh, everything out there. Um, in the world today, <laughs> and with the uh, the
1: pandemic, but yeah, uh, I, I we're, know it's, we're uh, looking fairly strong
4: at the moment.
1: It, it's it's difficult to, uh, to really have have not, not that racing is really great at long term planning, but um, it, it's it's so difficult to try to figure out what's going to happen, and and uh, you know, there's so many ways. Uh, I, I know, like the Pennsylvania tracks depend on the on the slots, the casinos so much, and with the you know the consternation about opening them back up or opening them up at such a a, a a small level that they're not able to do the the numbers that they were able to do it it just makes uh, it just makes it difficult to figure out and uh, it's why it's why uh, your job is important because the better product you put out there the more money gets handled uh, on the races the more self sufficient we are and, and and less dependent on uh, on uh, you know. On the slots, but um, Elizabeth, I, I appreciate you uh, taking some of your time out, and good luck. Um, hope your your big races go off and get full fields, and people bet a lot of money on them, and uh, love to have you back sometime.
4: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: All right, Elizabeth, thank you. Well, that wraps up today's show. We, um, we had the four people from vastly different parts of the world, but uh, kind of an interesting topic. Uh, Thank you, and we will be back next week on Going in Circles Live.
0: This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.